Hi, so you're probably aware that our last recording was split into two episodes so that we could provide uh, one shorter episode every week instead of a longer episode every two weeks. Uh, So this is the second half of that recording, but since that was uh, decided after the fact, this does not have any lead-in. It is the second half of an episode. So here is the lead-in, and thank you for listening. Um, I assume that you know who we are by now and that you would not be listening to this if you had not listened to the first two episodes. If you did, I suggest that you listen to those first, because this is not going to make any sense. Thanks. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is kind of an interlude page. Mm-hmm. It's not the beginning of Act 2 yet. So it's, it's just an image, but it has a link to a story file which is basically a mini-comic, like a few images in a sequence. Right, which is one of the only times we actually see that in this comic. I can, like, having read the whole thing at this point, like, I can tell you that it's extremely rare that you'll get more than one panel to a page. Not, like, like animated on top of each other, but actually one after another. And I, I think that's a really interesting formal device in terms of, immediately putting you like it, it's very strongly like by being like you know you have to open it in a separate tab like it's yeah it really removes you exactly um so yeah this, this yeah it was surprising to me because it, it's the sudden shift to a completely different narrative perspective mm-hmm. like so far we have been kind of this audience watching these children in very confined spaces and just kind of from their point of view but now suddenly it's this vast open desert and this complete different narrative perspective with this uh person who does something which is um he walks around in the desert and he finds a familiar looking logo which looks curiously like the lid of a cruckstruder and i think in this one he pops it off or is that not until the next one i'm not sure no okay anyway at some point he's gonna pop it off in this reading so don't worry about it I kind of feel like this was where I knew that I was going to end up reading the whole thing, I think. Um, this was not yet where I knew I was going to end up staying up all night the first night that I started reading it to read mm-hmm. most of the whole thing. But, um, yeah, I, like, was engaged with all the the banter. Like, I find it surprisingly, like, it has this addictive quality. Like, you... Sure. There's a, there's a lot of things wrong with this comic, but, like, I always want to keep reading. Like, I, I feel really compelled to find out what's going to happen next. Right. And especially when he, like, pulls shit like this. And it's like, okay, wait, you're, you've actually done, like, it there's, feels somehow, like, higher art. Right, yeah. So it feels like, like, for the first time, this feels premeditated. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's actually something going on. And, and it's kind of, it's definitely where I kind of got hooked, too. Like, not maybe not this page exactly, but by the end of the reading we do today, uh, I feel like, oh, there's actually things happening, and there's actually, like, something that's going to happen, and instead of just kind of a bunch of random jokes about, like, game mechanics and data structures. Right, yeah, it gets its act together around here, right around the yeah. end of Act 1, oh, if oh. you will. <laughs> um. But yeah, I, I think it's definitely going to start to feel less spontaneous from here on out. And actually, I think the appeal of it as you move forward is how deeply pl- 
planned it actually turns out to be um <laughs> in ways That's... that like it's not necessarily actually all planned a lot of it is retroactively woven together which is almost right. more interesting <laughs> to watch like the way that he's got all of these like irons in the fire or whatever and like yeah gets it all connected um anyway so we move from that to we start we start seeing more of this with stuff like Rose's game fact, which mm-hmm. is a long flowery intro whose entire thesis is that she's not going to write a long flowery intro. Right. Which I love, except that once again, I think this is like the third time that it happens now. Um, she uses the Arsler, which is completely out of character for her. It was very jarring, like to have all these kind of eloquent thing. Like she's writing very precisely and eloquently and then she suddenly just drops the arsler in there yeah and i like i understand that like it's very like almost like family guy i guess because it's like supposed to be jarring in that way but like it it's so it's such lazy writing yeah i don't know stick with it like he gets better about that stuff but yeah i'm sure um then on the next page we see what happened to john's house which is that it's do you want to tell us uh, his house is still there, but the rest of the neighborhood is not. Um, he is kind of, his, the house is kind of on a spike of earth, uh, in a very cartoonish, like, center of a crater where the thing in the center is untouched and everything around is completely gone, kind of way. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of there in the middle of space on this pillar of earth. And he's house-trapped. As it were. Um, okay. I thought that the sound effects here, between the sound effects and the imagery, were surprisingly spooky. Like, the way that things fade to black. Um, we see not only out his window, but also under his bed. Yeah. Um, you could see what was stored under there before, and now it's there's a couple of shadows that appear. that um, And some, some eyes. Yeah. Um, and then we, we zoom out and you realize that, yeah, he's totally alone, him and his dad and like the tree outside of their house and their driveway are trapped on this spire of rock, like high above. Spire is a good word. Hell yeah, it is. Um, but but there's, there's also a tiny little spire of land from the neighbor's yard where the PDA landed, which is pretty, it was a funny, funny visual gag. (laughs) Yes. Obviously they need that. Yeah, and that's something that I think is interesting about this comic is the way that even when things are, like, very effectively and genuinely sort of, like, spooky or grave, Mm -hmm. um, there will still be silly stuff that is genuinely funny at the same time and that doesn't necessarily detract. Yeah. You know, he just, because it it, it is compatible with this, like, I want to call it, like, absurd. Like, this comic is very absurd. Mm-hmm. And so it's equally compatible with like very nonsensical jokes as with like deeply like rattling, bottling right. sort of grand things, you know? For sure. So we get we get some um in the prompts to go to the next page, we get our first glimpse of this kind of this new voice. It's not like the uh the audience anymore. It's this uh voice that's yelling, Oi boy walk there <laughs> and at the at this point we don't know what's going on with that but it's very jarring it is a little alarming that it's just suddenly boy the yeah. first you hear of it 
Um, so, but like the first time that happened, mm-hmm. it, it's right when the house is gone, and I thought it was just exclaiming like, "Oh boy, <laughs> oh not, oh geez, oh this is this is bad." Did that never? I don't think that even occurred to me like the first time I read it, but that's interesting. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so the next page though, when you click on boy, is mm-hmm. you get to explore John's house. Yeah. Um, it's really fun. It's also a little bit spooky at the same time. Um, which I really like. Yeah, well you're being followed around by the Harlequin Sprite the whole time. And that's kind of ominous. Mm, it is kind of ominous. It's like a little bit agitated with you, but you can't understand it speaking. Yeah. Like it speaks in wingdings. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not super helpful. Um, some interesting stuff that happens is, um, you can try to look over the edge of the balcony that John is on when his whole, like, neighborhood gets blown up, but, um, (laughs) the game mechanic for not being able to see it is getting close to the railing makes you a little nervous. And I just put, me too. (laughs) Like, I feel nervous in this, I'm, I'm a little bit afraid of heights, but, like, I feel nervous just, like, clicking around, like, looking over the edge of this massive drop. Um, uh, I also actually know where he is, so I have a little bit of a concept of kind of what's outside of this. Right. Um, so there's that. Oh my god, I can't wait until we see more of that. Oh, it gets so cool. Okay. Um, I love the device of... Um, one of the things that we find in John's house is in his kitchen, there's a bunch of oil slicks and not his dad. So that's where we left his dad. Yeah, He's- so his dad seems to be missing. Yeah. It's a little alarming. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that this is sort of delivered is that John walks in, picks up a little bit of the black smears on his finger, and you, like, so you click on it sort of to inspect it, and instead of it just being a little pop-up box, it actually switches to a full-page panel, and it's just John oh. silently looking at his finger. I miss that. Oh, okay. Yeah, you can click on it. And cool. he just, he silently looks at his finger and there's no interface options. So in the second that it takes you to think to just click on the screen and see if there's anything to interact with to make this panel go away, mm-hmm. um, it like forces you to sit with the image, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was an effective device because it's like, is it oil? Like, yeah. what is it? Um, it's pretty with spooky. the implication, yeah. Um, and he's like, he's definitely starting to miss his dad, which is sad to see. Yeah. Um. He's concerned, at least. Yeah, he's a concerned, John is a very sweet child. (laughs) Um, even though he has a problem with his dad. Mm -hmm. Um, so he's sort of, so mysteriously, um, he still has power and like internet in his house. Yeah, I, I, I just, I just took that as kind of a narrative conceit. Um, like, I, I I wasn't bothered by that. That seemed kind of a given. Because, like, he wouldn't be able to... Like, the, the story wouldn't be able to continue if he didn't have internet. Exactly. Right. Um, which I think is a funny narrative conceit, but also it allows him to continue talking to Rose um, about sort of what's happened. And Rose points out that she never said happy birthday to him. Or, actually, John points out to her that she never said happy birthday to him. And she's just like, I wasn't done with your gift yet. Oh wait, sorry. Are we are we done with the um, with the, the uh, interactive? Sorry, I just wanted to mention a couple more things about it. Okay. Um, 
So I, I really like that you can go into Dad's office and play the refrain on the piano. Yeah. And it, it shows the, uh, the sheet music. I thought that was a nice little touch. Um, and then it keeps playing while you're in the office, but as soon as you go outside the office, it stops. Aww. Which I found out the hard way. Didn't get to listen to the whole thing. Aww. That um, spooky. <laughs> I also, yeah, and I liked a bunch of the flavor text about stuff that you don't, like, you shouldn't be paying attention to. Like, if you click the laundry machine, it's like, this is no time to do laundry. Yes. <laughs> and then the cabinet, you're like, I, you don't give a shit about what's in there. Yes. <laughs> blatantly telling you what's up. Mm-hmm. Which is a, another interesting kind of adventure game kind of trope that gets deconstructed a little bit. Like, you're you're supposed to be clicking on everything to find out what it is. But obviously there's some things that just don't matter and you should not be focusing on. Right. But and so rather than like giving you red herrings to like make it more of a puzzle to solve, like this is yeah. a narrative and the purpose is to move it forward. Yeah. Um, yeah it's interesting stuff. This, re- this comic is such trash, but at the same time, it like has so many like interesting little accomplishments. <laughs> uh. Premium A plus trash. Mm hmm. Um, so, OK. So then. We finish with our little exploration, and Rose is talking to John. And, yeah, John points out to her that um, you never said happy birthday to me. And she says um, that she didn't want John to think that just saying happy birthday was enough because she wasn't finished with the gift she was making for him yet. Oh, uh, sweet friend. Yeah, and, like, I think what happens is that she tells him your neighborhood was destroyed, and he just says... Wow, okay. <laughs> like, I'm very interested in the blithe reactions to extreme circumstances in this comic because on the one hand, like, to some degree, like, they're inauthentic. Like, people would be having panic attacks at this point. But at the same time, like, after a certain point, like, you do just roll with stuff like this. Yeah, for sure. So I find it very interesting to observe, I guess. Yeah, and I feel like since they're they, they're in this universe where, like, it's not surprising for someone to suddenly be manipulating your house, right? <laughs> um, and et cetera, that he just kind of he's more able to roll with it. Yes. Yeah, maybe that's the thing. It's just like you live in this universe and you're just automatically kind of chill. Yeah. Like you just yeah. That's the thing is like everyone just seems like acutely aware of the like absurd nature of existence, which is. A little bit amplified by the fact that you need to, like, know data structures in order to, like, manipulate objects ever. Yeah, which I also find really funny that um, he was, like, he had to, he was waiting until he was, like, 13 years old to bother, like, thinking about his data structure. Right, yeah, it just hasn't been an issue until now, like, what? Yeah, like, he's never needed to worry about more than four objects before. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible luck. Um, so yeah, so so there's some hints to sort of how disconnected we are here. Like John can he looks at serious business, which is the social network on his dad's PDA. Yeah, and all his dad's business uh, associates there are worried about his dad's like hats. Yes, <laughs> like there's what their usernames are like Fedora Lover ninety seven or something. Pipe fan four thirteen. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also wanted to point out that I love the anime. So well, what I wanted to say about that is that all the it's updating. 
Like, it seems to be up to the minute people are talking about these catastrophes, but all the timestamps are just question marks. <laughs> so that's cool. Yeah. And then um, we zoom out on John using the PDA, which I, th- I think we've done this before, but this is the first time I really noticed it. It's just him, like, staring straight ahead. Like, the animation for it is him staring straight ahead and, like, poking the PDA slowly with one finger that's to indicate funny. that he's using it. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Um, that reminds me of, um, I just watched uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2. Nice. Um, yeah, it wasn't as good as the first one. Um, but in those movies, there's very, very goofy uh, kind of animation. Uh-huh. In a way that, like, uh, made me, like, able to watch it more than, the, like, the plot. Because uh-huh. it was, like, interesting visually. But basically when they, um, when they're using computers... They just kind of slap the keyboard and fling their arms around. <laughs> uh, it's you, you probably just like watch a clip of that on YouTube and get more out of it than the movie. All right, we should put that in the as mentioned. Yes, good idea. So the whole thing with Rose and the birthday gift I thought was very lovely characterization done in about three lines. Yeah. Um, you're asking if the commanding voice is an alien. Right, so I so um, that was because it was like saying weird, weird things like uh, address your chum, or like I, I forget exactly what it was saying. It's talking like an alien. It's talking like it doesn't know what anything is. It's not familiar yeah, it's, with John's environment whatsoever. Exactly. Um, I'm actually still not sure how you would describe. The character's species. I think there is a word for it, and I just don't remember what it is. Okay, well, we'll get there. We will get there in a couple thousand pages, yep. <laughs> um, then they're yelling at him to cross. So the thing about being in range or not in range of things is, again, Rose has to build projections for John to get to them, but they're realizing mm-hmm. now that the grist that they used to do that is sort of running out, and so she, she builds him this little plank that he has to walk along. Yep. To get um, to get the PDA, and it's like this plank over nothingness, mm-hmm. um, and the alien voice is just like scuttle quickly across the, th- the narrow bridge, and John is just like, yeah. Um, but he does finally get across at his own pace, um, and oh, we got we went through that stuff already. Okay, um, so then we we move eventually. Um, Oh, okay. What which turnip truck did, truck did you just tumble up? Oh, yeah. Okay, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So uh, John kind of remarks on this uh, this this weird voice, and his his question to it is, "Which turnip truck did he just tumble out of anyway?" Which I thought was a really nice uh, turn of phrase. I agree. I don't know if that's uh, like an actual regionalism, but it's uh, it's good. I might use that if I remember to. It's not exactly a regionalism. It is a, like an idiom. Like if you're yeah. if you're a bumpkin, you 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 came in on a turnip truck, or you you know tumbled <laughs> out of a turnip truck. Yeah, turnip trucks specifically. Yes. Yeah, it's alliterative. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, okay, so so then we switch to the perspective of our little alien friend again. Yeah. So there's another story file. And it turns out that the uh, the alien, or uh, you call them the Wayward Vagabond. Yeah, it's his his name is Wayward Vagabond. Okay, uh, so it turns out that he is the um, 
the alien voice that is commanding John to do things. And he's actually, like, inputting the text into a computer that, like, has uh, has the bird's-eye view that we have of John. Right. It looks exactly like a comic panel, but it's on a screen um, at this mysterious terminal inside of um, this sort of underground bunker that that's, he's found. That's marked with the same symbol as the uh, extruder. Right. So the cap was marked with the same symbol as the extruder. And then the screens are arranged in a display that looks an awful lot like the Suburb logo. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got four panels, um, only one of which is lit up now, um, mm-hmm. which shows John. What else do we know that there's four of in this story? Four friends. Yes. (laughs) I don't know. It was very obvious to me, like, kind of immediately um, the first time I read it. And um, that was one of the things that, like, immediately... I feel like as much as there's retroactive foreshadowing where you would never know if you had not read the rest of the comic, there's also little things like that that you know are foreshadowing. Right. But they also convey so little actual information that you're just like, I need to know. And you won't find out for hundreds of pages, but <laughs> you are absolutely kept riveted. Yeah. So we leave our wayward vagabond again, and we leave to read Rose's game fact, or another section of Rose's game fact, mm-hmm. um, where she tells you, honestly, it's just a, like two or more pages of exposition on exactly what was going on during all of the fumbling with the giant machinery before John sort of entered the game, right? Yeah, and this, like, I, I guess um, kind of the conceit of just having these text dumps actually explain things yeah. uh, really works because this totally engaged me. This totally got me like, oh, like, there's actual rules to this and, like, all that stuff that was happening actually makes sense in context if you get it contextualized. So thanks, Rose. You just, like, got me engaged with this story. Nice. See, okay. I feel like that is sort of what makes you either someone who's going to like Homestuck or someone who isn't. Is if you see a giant text dump like this and you start reading it and you're like, oh my god, this is so cool. Like, we're finding out what was going on and it's like funny and I'm into this. Or you're like, that's a wall of text and we know this already. I hate this. <laughs> you know? I mean, I was, I was a bit, like, I was, I'm, a, I'm still going to be a bit put off by big walls of text. But once I start reading them, because I have no choice... Uh, if I'm actually interested, then that's a good sign. Okay. I think, yeah, you just have to have a certain degree of patience for the work mm-hmm. in order to enjoy this comic. But I'm I'm very heartened that you did find it enjoyable. Because I, I definitely really enjoyed it the first time I read it. Because it's like entertaining exposition if you like exposition. It's, it's essentially if you like big, intricate world building. Yeah. If, which... if you're the kind of person that reads people's world building tumblers that they never actually write the, the work for... <laughs> It's this, except there is also the work for it, which is nice. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I am definitely of the same camp. Yeah. Although I do want to call Rose out, by which I mean call Andrew Hussey out, on like a randomly racist line in the middle of this. She compares the great whirling batshit pandemonium that unfolds once you open the Cruxtruder to an especially ethnic wedding. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, that was... Oh, jeez. Yeah, it's like prolonged. It's like drawn out... It's a drawn-out analogy that is bad. That is quite racist, yeah. So I'm not going to necessarily read it. Um, but yeah. again, I was like, this is jarring as hell. Why is this happening? Yeah. Um, but we move on from that. Um, John well, is I running... Mean, sorry. I mean, sorry, just to, just to like, not not to be fair. Like, I, I don't want to 
excuse this, but it, they are 13-year-olds. So this is kind of understandable. Like, they don't really understand what they're saying. So it is, but it frustrates me because in is, so many other ways, they are not written entirely age-appropriate. They're sort of yeah selectively age-appropriate in, in sometimes interesting ways, but this is one of those things that I don't think it's necessarily meant to be a display of immaturity either. It's, yeah, it's, it's just a joke. It's supposed to be funny. It's just, yeah, it's just supposed to be a joke on the same sort of caliber of unnatural maturity than right. as the rest of their dialogue. And so it's just like, they're, like you are not writing them their own age. This is not appropriate. You're right. That was a, I, I disagree with what I said just a few seconds ago. Yeah. No, that's, that's always the thought that I have. It's like, oh, he's trying to write them as 13 year olds, but like, no, he's yeah. not. He's being lazy. Right. Um, but yeah, so we move on from her walkthrough and we see John trying to figure out, apparently he needs to prototype his sprite a second time. So he needs to throw something at it, essentially, that it will absorb and become hopefully something that speaks intelligibly. Right. And he can't for a while because it's a Harlequin, so it's dodging a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's mischievous. Yeah. Um, and then... During the process, um, TG is essentially trying to get John's attention, um, and John is telling him a little bit what's, about what's going on, but TG is more or less ignoring him and just, like, rapping at him, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> I also like that John can, like, have a conversation over text while also, like, throwing books at a sprite, like, just casually able to do these things simultaneously. Yeah, yeah he's, they're all very good multitaskers and spectacularly fast typists in this comic. Yeah. Across the board. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so TG does a nice rap. Um, it's like not good <laughs> or yeah. interesting. <laughs> it's uh, very, very loose with spelling to to get half rhymes out of words. Yes. Well, loose with, I think it's, it's deliberate permutations. For sure. On words, but it's just like, to such a degree, it becomes so convoluted. That it yeah. just doesn't, it's completely unintelligible. It's making a reference to one of John's shitty movies, but I can't tell which one. Mm -hmm. um, which, to be fair, I just don't know any of them, but whatever. Yeah, same. Um, Alex just wrote, this is Hells of Ill. That was, well, that was something in the text. Oh, it is. Hells of yeah. Ill. Hells of Ill. That was just a, a good quote that I wanted to appreciate. <laughs> um... And then shortly afterward, um, Rose loses connection again, and I love every time that joke happens. It's never not funny. Yeah, it's and my favorite I, every like, time. I actually like when I when I saw the gif. I actually like widened my eyes in surprise. Like the the pacing of it actually like worked. Yeah, like it was actually conveying narrative in a way that surprised me in a gif, which is good. Right, because it's, so what happens is she picks up a car, right? Rose, Rose picks up dad's car um, mm -hmm. so that they can extract, there's another extract, so they can get out um, John's server disk so that he can bring someone else into the game. And also that um, there's a, a package from his fourth friend, Gigi, who types in green text, um, which he hasn't been able to access yet. And in the gift, she picks it up and she's about to like drop it on the balcony or whatever. And then you see connection lost and you see it, it looks like it's about to just sit back down on the driveway. And then it actually breaks off of the side yeah. of the spire and plummets into the darkness. 
Yep. So that's not good. No. Um, which is amazing that they do that much in six animation frames or however many. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then John proceeds to make, like, the capital D colon face <laughs> that we all used so much on, you know, DeviantArt circa 2007. Um, and so then John is describing to Gigi, like, why he can't open her package and what happened. And again, she's, like, extra blithe about all of this. She's just like, oh, no, that sounds really sad. But, like, she's not, like, having any kind of an existential crisis. She's so chill about it. Yeah. Um, oh, and then TG's rapping some more. I'm not even going (laughs) to comment. Um. Um, so we go back to Rose's perspective. And I just wanted to, like, appreciate her, like, her art is really nice. Like, she always seems to have a little wry smile. Yeah. Uh, and you said earlier that, well, your note said earlier that her makeup is really good. It's really good. Yeah. It's, yeah, she's a good character. She's a well-designed character. Mm-hmm. She reminds me uh, a little bit of um, Mandy from Bill and Mandy. Oh, totally. This is another thing that they mentioned on, um, like, The More You Nerd. Yeah. Yeah, she, she looks a lot like Mandy from Billy and Mandy and mm-hmm. is a similar character as well. Oh, really? In in some ways, yeah. She's like, I mean, she's well, like I an guess, older in, Mandy. Sure. In in the, like, Eldric horror, uh, Eld, Eldritch? How do you say that? El, Eldritch? Eldritch. In the, El, yeah, in the Eldritch horror kind of fascination. Although I haven't seen Billy and Mandy in a long time, so maybe I'm just uh, retroactively putting things onto her. Possibly. I honestly think that cartoons like that probably have more reality in people's vague recollections of them than they ever did in terms of people's actual engagement while watching. That is a really good insight, and I love it. Thanks. Um, oh, and then, so she allocates her stripe specimens, right? She does. She, uh, the, the prompt is to uh, put the grimoire onto the specimens, <laughs> but yeah. she's like, nope, that's dangerous. <laughs> and, there's, and she, when it goes near the card a bunch of, like, skulls pop up. Mm, which is funny, because keep reading <laughs> for many thousands of pages. <laughs> um, but she puts what, she puts knitting needles in there. Mm-hmm. So her... So I assume that that is uh, going to be more uh, generalized than just knitting needles. Like, she might have, like, twin blades or something. No, they stay knitting needles, but they're, like... Oh. They become, like, spear-sized giant knitting needles or, like, magic wands. Nice. They, like, they're really cool weapons. Everybody gets really cool weapons. The weapons in this comic are so good. That's cool. Yeah. Look forward to it. Good, good weapon design is important. It is. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, I haven't even thought about this in so long. But, yeah, the weapon design and the costume design is amazing. And, like, whole segments are actually dedicated to, like, they're essentially designed in front of the reader. Cool. Um, yeah, it's really fun. Um, but, okay, so... We also get a look at Rosa's grimoire, which is um, her... It's a grimoire. You know what a grimoire is. You are an internet person. Um, (laughs) um, Okay, so we're looking at her grimoire, though, and I think it's interesting that there are these um, tiny, what look like slimers, flying around one of the giant monsters. Um, The giant monster is Fluflu. Sorry, by slimer, do you mean the ghost from... Ghostbusters? From Ghostbusters, yeah, and like from That's John's on, shirt. Yeah, okay. But okay. oh, is wait is is that the the actual thing on John's shirt? I thought it was just like a little worm. So that's what I'm what I'm getting to, which is so it is like so his wallpaper is Slimer, mm-hmm. but um, 
if you actually look in the MSP8 wiki, um, beasts, like they're just called beasts from Problem Sleuth, look like that. Um, they, they have the same silhouette and their faces are kind of in the same place and of the same shape. Okay. Um, and so there's some interesting sort of, it's like a double reference here. Okay. And of course, Sleuth Lou is the obvious Lulu joke. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Oh, Alex, tell us what you think of the summoning procedure. Uh, so, yeah, so one of the pages of the grimoire is the kind of diagrams of a summoning procedure for, is it for Thulu or for someone else? It doesn't matter. I, um, yeah. <laughs> um, but the, and she doesn't understand the uh, diagrams. Mm-hmm. And what, what they seem to be is a cutaway of a window that's open, and the window is plugged in, like there's a, a, a cord going from the window to uh, an outlet in the wall. And that is how you summon this beast. You leave the window open and plug it in. That is exactly, as a matter of fact, how you summon (laughs) these beasts. Um, So there's an ongoing sort of window gag in this comic, but also I'm not going to try and cite the exact details, but yeah, in Problem Sleuth, everything has to do with these plug-in. It's like a false window for, like, decoration of your office if you don't have windows. (laughs) Okay. Um, And... Yeah, there's a lot of gags that have to do, or not gags, but like important like story mechanics about right. plugging them in and unplugging them, and what happens when you do that. Yeah. So. <laughs> so that happens, and then sure we um, what? So yeah, so then we zoom out to show. So Rose has been in the kind of the observatory at the top of her house because of to course get- her house has an observatory. Yeah, so she's she was trying to get a Wi-Fi signal from the like research institute that she her house is beside. Right. Uh, but then she loses that signal, or she loses power. Right. Um, so she has to go. She has to go to get the generator, uh, which is behind the mausoleum, which was built for her cat. Which yep. uh, happened because she wanted a funeral for the cat, and so her mom apparently ironically built a mausoleum. Which is a really funny gag, and Except, also really and also really terrible. No, but see, here's another thing. How do you know? How do you know that it was done ironically? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the that's the thing. Like, which completely escaped me the first time I read this comic. I was like, oh yeah, her and her mom are locked in a battle of ironic wits, and it's kind of messed up. And I'm into that. And like rereading it, I'm like, oh my god, her mom is just like trying to be thoughtful in like a really <laughs> strange way, and like. Yeah. You know, if you are apparently, like, a, a, a wealthy eccentric, like, sure, you're, like, your daughter wants a funeral for her cat, and you're, like, oh, honey, we'll get you a funeral, we'll get you a mausoleum, we'll do, <laughs> you know, we're, we'll get a bust made, like, what do you want? But they don't oh. communicate, so... Yeah. Yeah, it's all very sad. So anyway, she's trying to get to the, the backup generator behind the mausoleum. Yeah. And so we see her whole house... Uh, from overhead. Yeah. And it is just straight up uh, that house waterfall by uh, Frank Lloyd Wright. Oh, I missed that. Which, if you don't, if you folks at home don't know, just look up. I guess I'll put it in the show notes. Hell yeah. Um, But it's just that with an observatory on top. (laughs) I mean, Andrew Hussey is not immune to Photoshop. Yeah. (laughs) Everybody looks at references. Um, And then, yeah, so I like that you, did you have to Google this or did you recognize? No, I just know, I... I read that for school, so I, I knew imme- immediately. Oh, you're so, so cultured. <laughs> so we have another misattributed quote. 
um, which is the line from The Wasteland that begins, April is the cruelest month. Um, but it is attributed here to American sports legend Charles Barkley, basketball player. He's now an ESPN commentator. Is he? Yeah. Well, either way, he did not write that. Nope. T.S. Eliot did. Yeah. Which is <laughs> very funny. Yes, it is. And, like, last time, the misattributed quotes I didn't really think uh, think twice about, because mm-hmm. I just, I, like you, the first time you read it, I just kind of glazed over them and assumed that they were correctly attributed, because I didn't know any of them. Right. But this one I knew, and I also knew that quotes are misattributed as gags, and I was like, Andrew Hussey, you scallywag. <laughs> Which I think is exactly the way that he wants to be seen by yeah. his readership, <laughs> for sure. Um, and then I deliberately included this as the last thing in this reading, which is that, um, Rose is, the instruction for the next page is Rose, confront mother in hallway. And you click on that link and you just get, oh, psych! And there's a boy standing in his bedroom. Mm -hmm. Different boy. Yeah, so I I was confused. I thought maybe that Rose, like, powered up. Because, like, the boy kind of looks like her, uh, just, like, with sunglasses on. It's interesting that you notice that. Um, but no, it's not her, which is all I'm going to tell. I think we might actually, depending on how long this conversation goes on, we could just omit this because this is already getting way too long Yeah, and it's kind of unnatural. So, but I, I kind of wanted to just give you something to like be a cliffhanger to like want to keep reading. Cause I'm like, gotta keep my friend hooked on this stupid comic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. But then, okay. So stuff that I do want to include is, um, if any of you are familiar with octopus pie, um, it's a very different webcomic from this. It's like <laughs> for adults and about adults. Um, mm-hmm. and it's great. It's like a slice of life comic, um, about just like some ladies, some like 20 something ladies in Brooklyn and like their friends and their love lives. And it's like really good. It's, yeah, it's really it's, good. Actually. It's very good. Cannot recommend enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I just caught up on it this past week and something that I had, forgotten about that comic is that um meredith grand totally like i'm always surprised by who reads homestuck meredith grand totally reads homestuck (laughs) i mean i think most comic people do or at least did at some point i guess so yeah see that's the thing is this comic loses people over time because you have to remain like very invested in it to like just keep track of everything that's going on yeah um but so what i thought was really funny is um at some point like in this comic that's all about like figuring out like what you want in life and like you know how to manage a relationship in these very like interesting nuanced ways um i mean it's also a very goofy comic there's also like a whole bunch of psych gags and oh yeah like ridiculous faces and like cutting social commentary that i have never seen anywhere else that's true um yeah and there's definitely a lot of it that i picked up on this reread that i didn't pick up when i read it in high school having mm-hmm. like lived as an adult now Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so the, the thing that I was getting to is that, so she totally reads Homestuck, and I know this because there are little, like, sight gags about it throughout the comic. Um, and one of my favorite ones is you look out of the window of one of the characters, like, swanky new offices, um, and you see among, like, the billboards that she's overlooking is Homestuck on Ice. Yep. Yep. I love it. <laughs> it's really good, and I screen capped it, and you're going to see it on the <laughs> Tumblr page. Good. Um, so that's it, I think. Any, any final thoughts? What are your, give me your reflections. Um, 
yeah, so like I said before, like this really actually captivated me. Mm. Like I got engaged with the story because the world started to make sense and the larger narrative started to present itself. Um, and just kind of the, the conceits of the world. Like, I mean, it was kind of cool before that it was like an adventure game. Uh, but like the whole stuff with uh, like the machines and the punch cards and the process of doing anything in the game within the game, I guess, uh, w- just kind of was interesting. And the kind of the way that it was presented with uh, Rose's prose about it was interesting. And it was all interesting. It was all good. And also a lot of the art was, uh, while, while it is like a simple art style, it was also very visually engaging. Mm-hmm. Like the flashes of red uh, when the meteors start falling was like very cool. And um, when the house kind of, when the, when the exterior faded to black and uh, like eyes started popping up in the black shadows, that was cool. Yeah, I love that effect. Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm fully on board now. I'm so glad. Uh, I used to get really excited about evangelizing this comic to people and then no one I showed it to read it because oh. it is too much. <laughs> For any mortal man or woman or other sort of person. So, um, why are you highlighting all my notes? What are you doing? I'm just playing with the cursor. Oh my god. What? Rude. <laughs> I forgot that you could see that. God, jeez. I'm just, I'm just highlighting everything. I'm just, I'm just playing with the cursor. Alex is running mad with power over our shared notes, which, um... Thank you all for bearing with us through this because we are still figuring out um, how to sort of structure this podcast. I don't know of very many, like, let's read a webcomic and recap it podcasts. Yeah. Um, So, and it's like hard because Homestuck is emphatically really not sorted into discrete units of any, you know, reasonable size. Um, If you have any feedback, um, we'd super appreciate it. Um, for sure. And oh, yeah. Ha- wait, sorry. What? Have you, have you checked if we've gotten any questions? I don't think no. we did. Oh my God. Let's check. Uh, oh, I, I'm on the, I'm on the Tumblr. I don't think we have any asked. I don't think so. Unless maybe Sai sent us one just to be nice. Uh, no messages to display for hamsteak. Oh. Uh, but w- did we check the email? I'm sure no one sent us email. <laughs> I'm also sure, but I'm also just going to check. Also, just as an aside, yes. Um, I think one of my favorite things about Gmail is just the one-click switching between accounts. Yep. It's super duper handy. Oh, we have 28 social emails. What? Um, People following us? No. Uh, oh. <laughs> spam. Uh, well, yes. Official spam. Oh. Like, popular in your network. Like, I guess, uh, since everyone who follows us follows Emily Grassley, it's showing us Emily Grassley's tweets. Nice. So, great. Thanks. Thanks for that, Twitter. Let's uh, turn those off. All of Emily Grassley's tweets? No, just, no, it's just a bunch of, like, there's a tweet from Emily Grassley, a tweet from Toby Fox, a tweet from Dark P. Crown. (laughs) (laughs) Tweet, tweet from Alexander, I barely... Uh, yeah. Bart's shown are not to scale. 
good. Okay. So yeah. Um. So that's all kind of silly. Um. Okay. So yeah. So as we were saying, yeah, we said give us feedback or whatever, and I think yes, that's the end of the podcast. Yeah, so if you have uh, any questions, uh, either feedback or just uh, general questions that you'd like us to answer on the air, please send them to hamsteakpodcast.tumblr.com. You can send those anonymously or with your Tumblr account. Uh, or if you don't like using Tumblr, uh, you can send them to hamsteakpodcast at gmail.com. That you can. And you can also find us on SoundCloud as we are Hamsteak Podcast there, right? Hamsteak uh, for some reason, SoundCloud put a dash in uh, our account name. Okay. So it's hamsteak-podcast. Uh, okay. And there seems to be no way to change that. All right. Um, but so that's where you can find our audio stuff. And we are also on Twitter at hamsteakpcast. Hamsteak podcast? Ha- yes, the whole thing. Hamsteak at hamsteak podcast. Do you want to re-record this? In a no, sensible? that's fine. Okay, sweet. Um, all right. So yeah, we really hope to hear from you and we hope you enjoyed... Should we plug ourselves? Yes. Uh, if you want to follow your hosts on the internet, you can find me at leafcrunch.tumblr.com or on Twitter at autumntime, but with the uh, E in time replaced with a B. We've had this. We've had this argument, so I'll, I'll let it rest. Um, I think that that spelling is nonsensical, um, but again, I, I, I agree. Yeah. Um, so it's, it is, it'll be in the show notes. Yes. Um, my name's Lydia. Um, you can find me on Twitter as brick chip, like the word brick and then the word chip spelled how you spell them. And then on Twitter as the same thing. Did I say Twitter the first time? That's my Twitter handle and my t- Tumblr handle. The you same. can follow me. They're both. Alex is really good at social media and I'm really bad. So like follow him for jokes and just follow me for like me complaining about my life or like, don't follow me. Probably don't look at me on the internet. <laughs> um, that's the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening. Yes. Thanks. Um, uh, our next episode will be in one week on December 7th. So see you then.